Just start coming in on Comedy Schools Radio Network.com now. We'll come in a couple minutes early. We're in on Comedy Schools Radio Network.com right now. Exclusive content on Comedy Schools Radio Network.com because uh, of the three. Um, the three uh, portals that we have to reach you through, that was the only one that we had up, but now we've got YouTube up. I get a lot of nice compliments from YouTube, like, thanks, bro, starts in 30 seconds, let's collaborate. Uh, reach out to me a little more, whoever you are, let me know who you are. Let's see if there's some collaboration that we can do. So right now we are live on the internet radio station. We are live on YouTube, and I'm going to just wait until the eight goes to nine, which will bring me at 1.59 p.m. And then I go live on Facebook Live. That's what I'm going to do, my friend. Go live on Facebook Live. And then I like Facebook Live. It is like my little friend. So when I'm on, you say hello to my little friend. Uh, man, this is, you, you know what? They say that a watch pot never burls or boils, depending on if you have some sort of speech issue and you say boils instead of burls. But... Uh, Right now, a clock, a watch clock, never. Well, it's been 158 for several minutes now. But <laughs> any second. Now, yeah, I think that uh, Zuckerberg, man, he's getting in there messing with the wires. Let's join the conspiracy nuts and see all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, hold on, because we're getting ready to go live on Facebook Live, which is, I think, where most people uh, look at us anyway, uh, which is fine with me, as long as you're looking. As long as you're looking back, Texas. Uh, there we are, ladies and gentlemen. Now we're live on Comedy Schools Radio Network.com, YouTube, Comedy Schools Channel, and Facebook Live. And good afternoon. It is uh, right around maybe just a little south of 2 p.m. or straight up 2 p.m. And you are watching uh, You are watching Living on a Thin Line with Tony Visick. I'm Tony Visick. Uh, you know what? The YouTube people can't really see my face when I got it like that. I got to change this just a little bit. So I got my YouTubers. I'm not robbing. There, hey, that looks good. We got all, all of it going on there. Uh, Living on a Thin Line is our regular daily podcast we've been doing since the uh, lockdown, quarantine, uh, whatever you want to call it. We've been doing it every day. I think today is uh, episode 40 or 41. Two. Episode 42, 42 days now. And we didn't start doing it right at the lockdown, but we did. I, we did start doing it then. This is your daily diversion from all the hoo-ha, anxiety, weirdness, and weirdos uh, floating around out there right now that kind of mess with your day. It's just a little break in the afternoon, 30 minutes of, uh, damn it, of fun. Just 30 minutes of fun. That's what we're going to do. Uh, we're having a good time. Um, I got good stuff to show you today. Those of you that watch the show know that I kick it off with a bunch of uh, knickknacks or memorabilia or, or signed stuff that I have that I uh, show to um show to you and tell you little stories about and then I recommend uh, either two albums or two artists based on my uh, uh, surprisingly large collection of vinyl albums the whole idea being we've had all this stuff sitting here in this room all this time which is my home office and uh, I don't pay attention to so much of it and one time it meant something to me and I forgot about it and in the current world we're in it's time to re-up on what that that which we valued in the past that we can bring with us and enjoying the present and then sharing the future. I think that sounded good because they had past, present, and future in it. I don't know if it actually meant anything. I don't know if you went back and examined the sentence, if you gave it a good forensic examination, if you had uh, your high school English uh, teacher, and I oftentimes have 
two of my high school English teachers uh, join us on the show here on Facebook Live, Lon and Peggy, uh, if they would uh, give me an A based on that sentence. But because it has past, present, and future, the sentence has a bit of gravitas. Hello, Randy. Hello, Don. Hello, Shirley, who's watching and sitting right here. Uh, that's uh, our producer who just happens to be my wife, Shirley Lovisic. A hand for Shirley. There you go. And uh, uh, Cynthia Combs. Hey, how are you? So uh, <coughs> people are starting to join in. Um, we seem to have a regular following here. We love that very much. We're doing this for you. We're also doing it for us. Uh, during a time when all of our schedules got completely obl obliterated. I got it out right. Obliterated. Um, we knew that we had to create new schedules, new ways of uh, building our day. So uh, we've done that with this 2 p.m. show. Also with our um, comedy workshops now and live shows that we do. Three nights a week we have comedy workshops. Tuesday and Thursday beginning workshops. Wednesday advanced. And it's a hot workshop with a lot of very talented people. And now Sunday nights, ladies and gentlemen, live on Zoom, 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Tony Vizic presents Sunday Night's Funnier. Uh, this week's, uh, on the menu this week of fine stand-up comics is uh, cop comic Jim Perry, uh, everybody's favorite Marine veteran, Kev the All-Star, uh, from New York City, Robert Morgan, and my good friend Bob Rocky. So that's a funny show. About an hour and 15-minute show. Tickets are only 10 bucks. You can find out a purchase right here on my page. If you're interested in purchasing and can't find it, send me a message on Tony Visick, V-I-C-I-C-H. Send me a text. Send me a message. And uh, I'll get you set up for this uh, Friday show. Um, Don Shell says, Buenos tardes, Maricopa County. Well, thank you. Thank you. And you know what? And Don, a good day to you. Don had been uh, my neighbor when he was a young man, when I was a uh, ne'er-do-well. A ne'er-do-well. When I was a 19-year-old ne'er-do-well, uh, living on a second story of a, a small apartment complex in High Ridge, Missouri. So, uh, and um, according to Don, he got a little uh, edumacation just from our comings and goings and whatnot. Okie Let's get to the stuff. Uh, first thing I'm going to show you is kind of a kick. This picture's been around for a while. Here it is, though. Take a look at that. Everybody see that? Now, unfortunately, in Comedy School's Radio Network, you can't see it, but I want you to visualize it. It's two young men in jean jackets in uh, a rather nondescript apartment. Uh, doing some sort of fake modeling poses, one looking downward and off to the left, and one looking upward and off to the right. Uh, the dark-haired one looking intently, and the blonde-haired one looking aloof. There you are. See it again. Who are those men? Who is that man? Who was that man? Well, that was the Lone... Nope, it wasn't the Lone Ranger. That is Tony and Jerry Visick, circa 1980, 81, in Hollywood, just a block or two off of Hollywood Boulevard, on a street called Carlton Way that cul-de-sac out at the U.S. 101. And that was my brother Jerry and I's apartment when we were young, young, young men. I'm drinking a Buttweiser, as you can see right there. Uh, and Jerry's drinking a bottle of something, I can't tell which. It was probably about 3 o'clock in the morning. There's a painting in this picture right there, that blue painting. You see that? That was one of my uh, brother Jerry's early uh, uh, paintings. It has a bunch of red balls in it. You can't see the balls. A lot of people didn't like this picture because they said, hey, we can't see your balls. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, I still have that painting here in the house. So that's pretty cool. I've always liked my brother's uh, artwork. You see, the, we had a Humphrey Bogart poster in the back. Uh, this was during a probably a two or three day uh, run of uh, 
of uh, uh, Peruvian marching powder and uh, beer and hard liquor because that was a party central house. But uh, look at me then. Uh, look at me now. I actually look better. So Shirley found that while she was digging through stuff and showed it to me. And I go, that's a kick. We got to show it to people. We're going to show it to people. Um, Don Shell says, I knew you guys upstairs were too cool. Well, we were too drunk most of the time. I'll tell you that. I'm going to show you a couple things now. They're not signed, and they're kind of rare, but not extremely rare. But they're important to me, and they're important to uh, American humor. So the first one here is a uh, comic book. You can see that. I've got taken up almost the whole screen on Facebook. Going to do the whole thing there, uh, if I can, on uh, YouTube. So that's a pretty wild artwork. The name of this comic is Funny Animals. We know it's from the early days of the burgeoning underground comic movement. Um, comics were, uh, sta uh, this is from 1972. Um, and it contains R. Crumb comics. For instance, this, What a World, that's R. Crumb. R. Crumb was one of the most important artist writers of the, um, uh, of the underground comic movement. Uh, it's not that he was, he was nuts. He was crazy. In today's environment, he'd be pilloried for his uh, attitudes. But what an artist. And what the underground comic movement did was in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, comics, almost everything was highly censored in America from uh, somewhere in the 1930s on. And, of course, comic books, which were read by children, were uh, governed under something called the Comic Code or Comedy, comedy Code, CCC something. Uh, that really governed what could and couldn't be drawn uh, and what storylines could be in comic books. Uh, Superman in those days was damn near Saint Superman. Batman was kind of a harmless guy himself. Um, but the underground guys uh, in the late 60s, especially out of San Francisco and Berkeley, started drawing comics that uh, had strong sexual content, pro-drug content, very counterculture comics. And they caught on like wildfire. And we collected them and savored each one that came out. You had to go to a special store to buy them, a place at the time called a head shop. Uh, a head shop was a place that sold uh, posters with uh, pictures of rock bands on them. It sold uh, hash pipes, bongs, paraphernalia, concert tickets, uh, uh, groovy clothes. They were hippie enclave stores. In St. Louis, the main one was called Spectrum in West Webster Groves. And you had to go to places like that to be able to buy a comic like Funny Comics. Because they were underground. They were damn near illegal because of what some people consider the pornographic content of the, um, of the comics. This next one is especially cool, and I'm so glad I got it, and I'm going to show it to you. These are three of the coolest brothers to ever exist. They are, you see them there on YouTube, you guys? You see them here? These are the fabulous furry freak brothers. And this one's worth a little dough, even though it's a little banged up because it's 50 cents, so it was a first or second edition. The Freak Brothers were three marijuana-smoking counterculture inner-city guys who got involved in all kinds of crazy hijinks. Uh, the uh, artist was a guy, artist and writer was a guy named Gilbert Shelton. And what he uh, depicted in the Freak Brothers were people who were living on the margins of society, not a lot of money. Okay, uh, uh, not really accepted by uh, the mainstream society, but optimistic, entrepreneurial, thinking on their feet, freaks. 
So a long time ago in the 60s and 70s, the term hippie came along with, right after hippie, because hippie fell out of fashion, was the term freaks and heads. Freaks and heads. When I went to high school, there were freaks, freaks and heads, and greasers. And there was also jocks. And you pretty much fell into one of those four categories till the jocks started coming to our party, and then they, uh, <laughs> they became freaks too. So uh, Gilbert Shelton's Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers and anything R. Crumb did, this is early stuff, but uh, Mr. Natural, that sort of stuff, became iconic to the counterculture movement. They, uh, they broke through the boundaries and chains of what could and couldn't be done in the, uh, what is now known as the graphic novel format and uh, suffered a lot for it. Uh, none of them became very rich. Uh, by a certain point in the mid-70s, late-70s, the underground comic movie died uh, as uh, uh, restrictions kind of loosened up so much. Uh, and uh, they went on to have okay lives, most of them. But uh, man, did they help shape counterculture movement, which fed right into uh, the stand-up comedy movement that began in the mid-70s as well. It was all part and parcel. Uh, so stand-up comedy and modern America humor up till recently owes a lot to R. Crumb and to Gilbert Shelton. And you should just uh, Google those guys and read about them. Uh, Art Crumb, like I said, probably a controversial character nowadays because of his attitudes and his writings, but uh, broke boundaries, broke boundaries. We've uh, re-entered a new boundary. It's interesting that as we're now living in a time of uh, real physical boundaries, which I think are almost, almost all for the most part necessary, uh, although some of them could be changed now for the better, but we'll see, uh, that before that we had entered into a... Uh, an intellectual and emotional and artistic uh, uh, boundary era where more and more and more through kind of shame-based social media primarily, uh, uh, topics and discussions and uh, uh, themes uh, and uh, the thrust of what people were talking about uh, became extremely limited because of uh, what was oftentimes easily large attacks and still is on Facebook or Twitter or something. I just want to say this about the news media. I'm not here to knock anybody. That's not the show that I'm doing. But when I see a headline, it goes, Twitter responds to so-and-so. I just sit there and go, that is about the laziest, dumbest journalism I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, Facebook blows up over, no, you know, they broke the internet. Those are such hyperbolic terms. Twitter does not respond. Facebook does not explode and no one breaks the internet. It's some lazy writer who needs to have content to keep their job, who finds a group of people who have disagreed with something someone does and then blows it up into a news article. Twitter does not respond. It does not it, it, it think. It is a place where people post. And if you put so-and-so got a thousand negative comments out of four million, then it's not really negative comments. It's what has happened in America with... Uh, what artists are able to do, entertainers are able to do, is that statistically insignificant numbers of people have uh, quantifiably oftentimes shaped what people can say and do. And we've also entered an era now, uh, kind of post-Gonzo journalism, which uh, Hunter Thompson did, but that was wonderful, where he immersed himself into a story, into um, third-party Romana clefts that are then now taken as fact to do damage to people and their reputations, and I don't ever accept any of it. But uh, 
I don't know if Gilbert Shelton and Art Crumb would have been able to uh, exist doing what they do during this time. Perhaps they would come along at this time once again. Uh, artists like uh, George Carlin and Richard Pryor. Uh, artists like uh, 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 directors like Sam Peckinpah and uh, uh, comic book writers like Art Crumb and Gilbert Shelton and begin to battle back against the kind of reactionary movements we see. Anyway, enough of all that. Let's get to the music, shall we? Shall we get to the music? Hello, Bruce Hepler. Hello, Arthur Belkind. Happy Wednesday to you. Hello, uh, Susan Hodges Wetchell. Is it Wetchell? Do I, am I saying it right? Uh, I think I said hi to Diane. So uh, I got some, some fun stuff for you to look at here. So the first thing I'm going to show you is not music, but it's an album. And it's a rare album, and it's a cool album. And uh, uh, so I'm going to show this to you. Look at this. You see that? See that, man? YouTubers, you see that? What are we looking at here? What is this? This is a rare album. This is an original radio broadcast of Tennessee Williams' Pulitzer Prize play, A Streetcar Named Desire, starring Marlon Brando, Carl Martin, Malden, and directed by Eliza, uh, Eliza Kazan. So, Streetcar Named Desire, you know, it kind of goes along with a theme. What R. Crumb and Gilbert Shelton, the underground comic guys, did with uh, um, comic books, Tennessee Williams and Marlon Brando did with acting and um, uh, what could be said and what couldn't be said uh, on a, in a play or uh, in a movie. So this, so Streetcar Named Desire is one of the most important pieces of work in American literature or uh, uh, theater in the 20th century. It's a stunning piece of work. It is the story of two sisters who were born wealthy, one who took off early to find her own way and married a man in the uh, seedy part of the French Quarter in New Orleans. And even though they're poor and earthy, has found true happiness with this man. And the one sister who's hung around until the entire fortune of a once proud plantation family has been uh, uh, destroyed and um, is what in terms of then was known as a loose woman. She liked to sleep around. She had a high sex drive, and how all of that destroyed her in a repressive society. Streetcar Named Desire is one of the most important pieces of work in the 20th century. Tennessee Williams wrote it. Wrote it, it was groundbreaking. What was done on Broadway, people's mouths were open in awe at the stunning work that they saw. Uh, the movie is available. If you haven't seen the movie, uh, you can find it on the internet, or uh, you can see it oftentimes on television. A Streetcar Named Desire. Marlon Brando, not only Tennessee Williams, then change could and couldn't be said on a Broadway stage or in a film. Marlon Brando changed acting in America. He changed acting in America by embracing what was known as method acting, although Marlon would go, well, method acting. It was method acting, okay? I was just doing what I do. What are you talking about, Charlie? Uh, he changed the way acting was done from a very naturalistic style. Hi, how are you? Well, I'm fine, how are you? To like real human being, real human behavior, okay? Stunning piece of work. This thing that I'm showing you is not from the TV, not from the uh, theater or, or from the movie. It is a radio uh, broadcast that they did of this. And I'm trying to see here uh, if you know, if you know that, um, if you know anything about Streetcar Named Desire, you know that uh, um, the woman who played uh, Blanche, of course, was Vivian Lee. Vivian Lee played Blanche in a movie she had been... Uh, of course, in um, Gone with the Wind. Uh, 
But uh, on Broadway, it was a different woman, I believe, named Lorette Taylor. Lorette Taylor, um, who did uh, the Broadway production, and people said she was stunningly good. But when Hollywood bought the rights, The Streetcar Named Desire, and they had a bunch of unknowns. Marla was an unknown. Carl Mald was an unknown. Uh, Kim, uh, Kim Hunter was an unknown. They said, we got to have a, one star. So imagine that in your life, that you, and I would say it was Lorette Taylor, but it might have been, uh, might have been uh, Kim Stanley uh, playing the part of Blanche, that the entire production is going to be filmed, a historic movie is going to be made, and you're going to be forgotten because the uh, studio moguls in Hollywood went, we got to have a star, one star, put Vivian Lee in it. Uh, Vivian Lee fit in quite well because it, uh, she's playing a woman descending into madness. And unfortunately, at the time, Vivian herself was as well. So it's a stunning piece of work by Vivian Lee, but she was not in the original production. Everybody in the original production, except the woman playing Blanche Dubois, went. So uh, you never know how careers are going to go. You never know what's going to happen, man. Uh, so um, if you get a chance to see Streetcar Named Desire on television, it's in black and white, beautiful black and white. Uh, watch it and be prepared to be amazed by Marlon's performance. All right. Second thing we're going to show you here. This is cool. All right. Kind of hard to see. Kind of crazy looking. All right. Once again, from um, the same era as the comic books, not the play. You're looking at You see that? What am I showing you? Comedy Schools Radio Network fans are going, I don't know. We can't see. All right. This is, ladies and gentlemen, and it's protected in plastic. On Polydor Records, it is Wheels of Fire by the band Cream. Wheels of Fire by the band Cream. And I don't think there was ever a better title for an album than this album. Because once again, Cream, Cream creamed everyone when they came out. A three-piece group. We've talked about them on this show before. Three-piece group. Uh, Eric Clapton. Uh, Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker, three pieces, some of the most powerful sounds you ever heard. Uh, Eric, of course, was such a devotee and still is of the blues, the original blues, taking a song like Crossroads, written, written in 1927 by Robert Johnson, and turning it into his own and making it a modern song. Uh, but on this, of course, there is the big-ass, badass hit. <laughs> A stunning, stunning song. A huge hit for a long period of time. Also on this album, Sitting on Top of the World, Passing the Time, as you said, Pressed Rat and Warthog, which is a hell of a name for a uh, song. Politician. Uh, those were the days. Born Under a Bad Sign. Desert Cities of the Heart. Crossroads. Uh, spoonful. Train Time and Toad. Now, of the, the two big songs from this album, of course, White Room and Crossroads pretty much set a standard for uh, musicianship that uh, few could meet. Stunning, but also Sitting on Top of the World, their version of an old blues song. That is fantastic. Uh, Born Under a Bad Sign, no Willie Dixon tune. Great to listen to. Okay, so uh, a lot of good music on Wheels of Fire. Great piece of work. If you don't know the work of Cream... Or if you only hear them on the radio every once in a while, see if you can listen to them on a good system and really sit down and listen to Crossroads and go, how does one man do that with his fingers on a guitar? How does that even happen? Or listen to The Magic of White Room, which is based on a poem, the lyrics are, that they created music around and go, how do you even come up with that? 
And then ask yourself, how did that become in a country that was still trying to hold on to American standards, you know, Moon, June, Croon, those sort of uh, uh, lyrics, hold on to that as the standard for what a pop music, pop song should be about, come up with this stunning song. You know, but go back and listen to Born Under a Bad Sign by Cream. All right, listen to that. Listen to Spoonful by Cream. These bands caused the rest of us, for many of us, to fall in love with the great African-American blues artists who wrote them or created them or recorded them previously. Those of us went, wow, what did the first guy who did this sound like? And then we had a great gift in America because of that. We had the modern versions done by people who are of our own generation. And then we had the original versions, which often sounded quite different and basically gave us two wonderful pieces of musical poetry to enjoy based on the same song. So, anyway, how about that? Listen, I hope you guys are doing well. Um, I haven't turned on the television today. I've, I've, I've had so much like work, work, like not the job work, but uh, car registration is a nightmare. Uh, getting new uh, internet put in the house, uh, uh, administration, paying bills, uh, just eat up my entire day. So when I get to take this break and talk to you guys, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. We're going to be wrapping it up right now. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed my uh, my uh, uh, ramblings. Uh, please check out the uh, underground comic artist R. Crumb and Gilbert Shelton. Um, check out the movie Streetcar Named Desire and go back and listen to uh, cream and really listen to the music that they did, not just background noise that it's become. Uh, Jessica Tandy, thank you, Diane. Jessica Tandy, I was thinking of Lorette Taylor or Kim Stanley, who are the two other great Broadway stars who never uh, made a big in, in Hollywood. And Jessica Tandy, yes, thank you. Uh, a stunningly, uh, a stunningly gifted actress as well. So, um, and how did I forget that? But thankfully, I got people like Diane here to remind us. Uh, quite a story, though. So um, I'm glad I get to do this. I'm glad you guys join in with me when we do this in the afternoon. I hope it's uh, doing something for you. It's certainly doing something for me. Uh, Sunday night, Sunday night, 7 o'clock. Tony Vizic presents Sunday Night's Funnier this week with Bob Rocky, Robert Morgan, Kev the All-Star, and cop comic Jim Perry. Four people, hour and 15 minutes, on Zoom, we bring comedy to your room. Tickets are only 10 bucks. Look on my page here, uh, how you can purchase tickets. Look on uh, the Tony Vizic Facebook page or drop me a line in Messenger or an email and I'll get you linked right up. You'll be uh, helping these comics get paid and we also donate a portion of the money to uh, the Maricopa Pantry. Okay, that's it for the day, guys. I gotta go. I gotta take a nap. They're gonna teach classes. Hope you had a good time. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.